Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 is where we'll be today. Wasn't that a fun song? Man, God has not failed us, has He? Come on, somebody. God has not failed us, has He? He has never failed me. I've failed Him. He's never failed me, and He never will, Joe. That's right. So thank you. Thank you, choir. Great job leading us this morning. Thank you, Christopher. Um, we're, we're in week three of a sermon series uh, all based on this idea. And so if you look at Joshua 1.9, this is our key verse uh, for the week or for the series. All based on this verse. We needed a theme. We are praying, God, what do you want your church to hear? What do you want us to focus on? What is important for us in these moments? And here's what it is. Here's what we felt like the Lord led us to. Read it with me. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen, when we started planning this in May, I didn't know how much I needed this sermon series. And so maybe you fall in that category. You're experiencing things that you never thought you'd experience. You're experiencing things that you had no idea how to walk through. And you need this like I do. I know that there are some in this room who have um, medical tests out and are waiting on results. You have things going on in your life that are so much bigger than you can handle. I just want to remind you, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that good news? And so we don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be dismayed. But we can be strong and courageous no matter what we're going through. Not because we're strong, but because He is. He's with us. So a few months ago, we began to plan this sermon series, this theme for the year. And we just want this passage to get way down deep in our souls and that we remember it, that we know it, that we take it in, we consume it, we digest it, and it becomes a part of who we are this past year. Not just individually, but as a church, as a corporate body of Christ, we need to understand that there are challenges that lay ahead of every church in this day and time. Challenges. Opportunities. And we want to see those. We don't want to be fearful of those. But we want to charge hard after those. And we want to go in unfamiliar territory, walking unfamiliar paths. And we want to do so being strong and courageous because we know that God is with us wherever we go. And so that's what I want for our church. Not just individually, but corporately. So today, we're going to be focusing really on verse 3 and 4. But I want us to look at verse 4 in unfamiliar paths. Verse 4 says this. 
It's talking about the, the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 4 says, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, that's the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits in length. Don't come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. You have not passed this way before. How many of you in this room have experienced something lately that you've never experienced in your entire life? I think all of us should raise our hand at that moment, shouldn't we? I've never experienced a pandemic, amen? And, and so we're walking an unfamiliar path. And today we want to be the kind of people, like Andrew read, we want to be the kind of people that cross over into the promised land, even in the middle of unfamiliar paths. So let me, let me just do a poll for, for a second. How many of you have been on a really long, maybe week, two-week, three-week trip? Uh, a, a long trip. You've been on a long trip, anybody? All right, you, you can wake up and play along with me this morning. Um, now, the, I don't know about you, but the first few days that I take a long trip, I'm okay. But day four, something starts happening inside of me. What is it? What do you call it? Homesick. I start getting homesick. Now, I miss familiar things. I'm longing for the things that I'm familiar with, my tendencies, my morning rituals and habits. Does anybody else have morning rituals that you you got to stick to every morning? I miss my coffee on my couch every morning. I miss my Bible reading in the place where I don't have to uh, worry about bothering somebody else. I miss all of my habits. And and have you ever have you ever traveled? Um, and you, you traveled somewhere new, and you literally felt like a foreigner? You, you felt out of place? I mean, you can do that without leaving the United States. How many of you have ever been up to the northeastern part of the country? Right? You learn quickly that we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? Uh, and, and, and if you go to the Pacific Northwest or just the West Coast, that's, that's like a whole other country out there sometimes, isn't it? And so we can go places, and we can feel out of place, and I, I remember when I moved, I was uh, 17 years old. I just graduated high school, and I moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I was there all by myself. I had a job in an apartment. That was all I had. I had everything that I owned was packed into one of the small U-Haul trailers, and I drove it across the country. And occasionally, I just longed for something familiar. And I found a restaurant that served sweet tea, y'all. Sweet tea. Guess where I went every day for lunch? I needed something familiar. Andrew and I, we were just in Senegal, and in Senegal, man, we ate all kinds of food from all different backgrounds of food. We ate Korean food, we ate Thai food. Yes, while we were in Senegal, we ate all these kinds of food. But then right down the road from the house that we stayed in was a restaurant called Mawa's, M-A-W-A. Mawa, that's her name. And Mawa lived in North Carolina for 18 years and had a restaurant in North Carolina. We show up and I was expecting something different, some Senegalese food. No, chicken and waffles. I was like, yeah, brother. I'm at home. They had sweet tea there too. Sweet tea. Mawa could make some chicken. Man, it was good. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, a place that was unfamiliar. You just long for what you know. You can feel sometimes like a, a foreigner in a strange land. Can you imagine how the Israelites feel in this moment? They're... They're out of Egypt, and they have been for 40 years. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Picking up, putting down. Picking up and setting out, and putting down and laying out camp. 40 years of this. They never had a home. 
and they, they weren't in, Israel, or in Egypt anymore, even though sometimes they looked back fondly back to Egypt, didn't they? Even though we were in slavery back there, at least there was fried chicken and sweet tea. You know what I mean? There was something familiar about that place, even though we were in captivity, and we sometimes long for the familiar. They, weren't, they were out of Egypt, but they weren't yet crossed over into the promised land. They had not made it to their home that God was preparing for them. And that is exactly as we should feel. That's exactly how we should feel. In this passage, the people of Israel are literally standing on the banks of a swollen river in rainy season. They're standing on the banks of a swollen river looking a few hundred yards across the Jordan into the promised land. The first town that you can see from the banks of the Jordan River is the the town of Jericho. And God reminds them in verse 4, you've never passed this way before. You've never passed this way before. You've traveled for 40 years, but there's not a single person in your company that's ever been this way before. Never been that way before. And like the Israelites, we are a people traveling to a homeland. That's our story. We're traveling to a homeland. The problem is that we often long for the comfortable place behind us, don't we? There are some comforting things that I remember from growing up as a kid in Montgomery, Alabama. My grandmother had a a beach house uh, down in the east side of Panama City, and it was called The Shoe. Um, There was an old lady who lived... It was huge. It was this big old place, and there was the dormitory where all the children slept. Where all the children slept. And I have some of the fondest memories of places like that. I can smell it. Have you ever been there? You smell to smell and it took you back 20 years ago to this place or this time. It happens for me. And sometimes as I'm traveling through this life, what I'm really longing for is the life that I had, not necessarily the life that God is leading me into. Have you ever been there? And there's nothing wrong with looking back with uh, with familiarity and and love at the experience that you've had and the places you've been and what God's done in your life. But listen, that's not where God's called us to. God's called us to the promised land that lies in front of us. As Christians, our homeland is not behind us. It doesn't matter where we came from. As Christians, our homeland is ahead of us. And that's just where we are. But before we get there, we've got to cross over into the promised land. We've got to cross over into the promised land. Think about that phrase, you've never been this way before. Shouldn't that describe almost all of the Christian's life? You've never been this way before. Now, how many of you, like me, you remember the day where you crossed over from death to life by trusting Jesus? I ain't never done that before, but I did it that day. I crossed over. I crossed over. Maybe you remember the time where you crossed over from a a, a bachelor or a bachelorette to the married life. I crossed over. I'd never been married before until I crossed over. And there was a day that I had never been a parent until I crossed over into the land of chaos. I mean parenthood. Parenthood, right? I crossed over. I'd never pastored before, but then I did. Now I'd never pastored in a pandemic, and now I am. Until I crossed over. You've not passed this way before. Have you ever felt like you were traveling unfamiliar paths? Man, I sure do. I remember when Liz and I got miles. Liz and I got miles. I may, I may have shared this story with a number of you, but when Liz and I got miles, in our minds we had envisioned what the moment of us 
being united with this boy that we'd been longing for for about a year and a half would be like. And we envisioned that we would go to the orphanage and we would see him and play with him and love him and just have this sweet time at an orphanage and then maybe leave him for the night and go back to our hotel, come back the next day, do that again, play with him, build this bond with him. And then maybe after two days or three days or four days or a week, we would bring him back with us and he would be forever ours. We had that envisioned, but that's not the reality of what happened. Instead, we get a phone call at about 8.30 in the morning after we had just gotten to our hotel about 3 that night, and we get a phone call, hey, I got your kid, where do you want him delivered? Excuse me? Where do you want him delivered? Well, we're staying at this hotel, we'll be in the lobby. And so that's sure enough, that's what happens. And so this sweet little boy is being carried in this huge Samoan uh, man's arms. We, his name was Sam, so we now affectionately refer to him as Samoa Sam. Uh, and Samoa Sam had Miles in his arms, and he walked, us, walked Miles to us. And I remember those first moments of embrace. It was so sweet. Uh, we wept, ma- mainly I wept, okay? And we cried over our boy. We longed for him. We prayed for him. We thanked God for him, that we laid our hands on him. And then, being a good... Uh, panicky parent, I begin to ask questions. Does he take naps? Does he do bottles? Um, Is he allergic to anything? And here's the answer that the Samoa Sam gave to each and every one of our questions. I don't know, man. I'm just the driver. Well, thanks for the help, buddy. See, we'd never been this way as parents. We were walking in unfamiliar paths. We'd never been that way before. And all the questions that we could ask, all the ones that we could think of asking, we had zero answers to. And so guess what we did? We crossed over into parenthood and we figured it out. And there were some days of tears. And then Miles cried some too. We were walking in unfamiliar paths. Guess what? How much do you and I feel today like we're walking in an unfamiliar path? We've never been this way before. You can say that again. We've never been this way before. Have you ever lived in a pandemic? No, I haven't. Have you ever felt uh, a country so unstable or destabilized? I haven't in my life. Have you ever felt so much like a stranger in a foreign land? I haven't. I'm walking a path that I've never walked before. I've never pastored in a pandemic. I'm walking a path that I've never walked before. I'm I'm going a way that I've never been before. And, you know, I've never felt so unsure about so many aspects in my life. In each of us, in that moment, we have the natural inclination to run back to what's familiar. We want to go back to familiar territory because we kind of, in a sense, we fear the unknown. And that's what Israel did. They feared the unknown, and even slavery at times looked better than what was laying ahead of them. And I I, I want to come back to this this story of Lewis and Clark one time, just for a minute. Lewis and Clark um, were were, uh, commissioned by Thomas Jefferson to... Uh, search out the uh, Louisiana Purchase to find a uh, water route from the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean. And they traveled up from the Mississippi River to the Missouri River, all the way up to the headwaters of the Missouri River, all the way to the very spring of the Missouri River. 
and then they, what they thought, what they assumed is that the same gentle slopes that led them to the headwaters of the Missouri River would take them down to the Columbia River Basin and to the Pacific Ocean. And what they found when they got to the, the top of Limhi Pass um, is not what they assumed. And what they learned that day is that if they were going to walk and finish the journey that they had been commissioned to finish, they were going to have to walk off the map. They were going to have to walk in uncharted territory. They were going to have to leave what they knew, what had been mapped out for them, and get off the map walking a path that they had never walked before. They were going to have to trade in the boats for pack mules and find a different way to get to the ocean. And there were unfamiliar paths for them. God in, uh, in this passage had specific instructions for the people of Israel as they prepared across into the promised land. And we have to remember that the same God who called Israel then, the same sovereign God is calling us today to be a crossover people, to walk unfamiliar paths, to take the promised land for the glory of God, not just to get to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about I got I to gotta get into heaven somehow. I got to make it by the skin of my teeth. No, God wants so much more for us in this life. He does want each and every one of you to inherit the promised land of heaven. But there is a mission that lays ahead of us in this world that God wants us to take the land and become a crossover people that begins to battle according to the Lord, take the land according to the Lord for His glory, for His name, and for His renown in our county and our state and our country into the edges of the world. And the same sovereign God is, is calling us to take unfamiliar paths into the promised land, and He is with us. He is with us. Now, I'm not sure if it's on the screen, but I have verse 17 in mind. Verse 17 says this, Now the priests, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Imagine this. Imagine this. The Jordan is swollen in rainy season, and when it is swollen because, or it's swollen and it's out, overflowed its banks, and it's, not, it's normally a little uh, less wide than from here to the wall, the Jordan River is. But now it's hundreds of yards across in the rainy season, and they're looking at this and they go, how do we cross this? And God says, if you will follow me, I will make a way, like I did through the Red Sea, I will make a way through the Jordan. You're going to follow the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant will lead you across the Jordan River in the moment that the Ark of the Covenant touches the banks of the Jordan River, the Jordan River will begin to back up. It will begin to back up away from you, and it will begin to stand in a heap upstream so that you and all of the nation of Israel can pass over on dry ground. Can you just imagine what God is doing in their midst? And this is exactly what happens. And what it says that I love so much is the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. How many of you today want your feet to stand firmly on dry ground as you cross over into the promised land? I sure do. 
And so the question is, if we're going to stand firmly in the midst of this torrent raging, we have to ask ourselves, how did God's people, or God instruct His people to do so? And He gave them two instructions. Number one, follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Now, up until now, how were the people following the Lord? All through the wilderness, there were two things, well, the same thing that kind of transformed in the day and in the night. What was it that led them in the day? A pillar of cloud. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. And the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire led them through the wilderness for 40 years. It never left them. It never forsook them. It lit their way at night. It protected them from enemies. The presence of God was in the pillar of the fire, in the pillar of the cloud. And now, what we see in verse 3. Joshua chapter 3, verse 3 says, And the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Follow it. Follow what? Follow the ark. Now, what we had is the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now we have the ark of the covenant. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night is no more. Now the ark of the covenant takes its place. The Ark of the Covenant is named ten times in chapter 3 and another seven times in chapter 4. It takes a very prominent position in the crossing over into the promised land. One commentator says it like this. He says, the Ark was seen as the portable throne of the invisible God. The portable throne of the invisible God. What was in the Ark? Do you remember? There were three things in the Ark. One was the Word of God. Uh, There was inside the Ark, the Ten Commandments were in there. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 31, um, God instructs Moses to take everything that's written in the law, all of the law, and put it alongside the Ten Commandments. So likely what's written is the entire history of Israel in teaching from Genesis to Deuteronomy laid inside the Ark of the Covenant. And it's there. So I want you to imagine the entire teaching for the people of Israel... An entire way of life, an entire way of worship is in there. God's Word, what's he saying? God's Word will lead you into the promised land. The second thing that was in there was a jar of manna. Y'all remember manna? Uh, Manna was that stuff every morning in the wilderness that fell from heaven and fed the people of Israel. It fed them. It was like fine flour, and they'd pick it up and, and take as much as they needed, and they would feed themselves and bake with it, bake bread with it. A jar of that was preserved and put inside the ark. And it was a reminder of how God had taken care of His people for 40 years. And the third thing that was in there was Aaron's staff. Do you remember that? In the book of Exodus, there was a disagreement about who should be in charge. And and they said, you take a staff and we'll take a staff and let's set them aside. And, And the one who grows buds and flowers will be the one that I've chosen. And Aaron's staff budded and flowered and grew almonds. And that was laid aside and kept kept in the Ark of the Covenant. It was to remind them of God's power and God's leadership. So it contained three things, but it represents three things. The Ark represents the presence of Yahweh among His people. The presence of Yahweh, the presence of God among His people. The Ark was a sign Hey, you follow it. It's a sign that God is leading them. The portable throne of God is leading you into the promised land. It, was, it represented the 
presence of Yahweh among his people. It also represented the instruction of God to the people. The instruction of God to the people. Follow it. Follow it. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Follow it. Follow the Ark of the Covenant. God would teach them what they needed to know and show them how to enter into the promised land. And third, it was the place, the ark represented the place where the sin of man met the mercy of God. The ark was the place where the sin of man represented the mercy of God. Some called it the mercy seat. The mercy seat. The ark of God was a physical representation of God's presence with us and His Word to us. Now, what does that look like for the believer? If, how do we follow the ark today? If it was a physical representation of God's presence and His Word, what does the believer do? Because we don't have the ark anymore. There was a movie all about Raiders of the Lost Ark. They hadn't found it, I don't think, okay? We don't know where it is. So what are we supposed to do? Remember, the ark was a physical representation of the presence of God and the Word of God. And in John chapter 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was the light, and the light was the life of men. And, and then it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to understand, if you fast forward a little over a thousand years, we have another physical representation of God's presence and God's word and his name is Jesus. God calls him Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 7. He says there's going to be a son born. He's Emmanuel. Matthew picks up on that name. John calls him the word of God that dwells among us. Jesus reminded us he reminds us that God is with us as Emmanuel and that his word is he is still speaking to us through himself through the word. I want you to understand the ark contained the covenants, the manna, and the staff. The ark contained the covenants, the manna, and the staff. How to live divine provision and divine leadership. And Jesus is the way, and He is the truth, and He is the life. Jesus is the bread from heaven who would satisfy our soul's deepest cravings. Jesus is the one who says, I'm the good shepherd. Everyone who comes after me. Right? Follow me, he says to his sheep. Not only did the ark represent the presence and the word, but it was also where the mercy of God met the sin of mankind. Where do we find that? In Jesus. At the cross of Jesus Christ. What do we have? We have the mercy of God meeting the sinfulness of mankind. We don't find it in an ark of the covenant. We find it in a person. The ark has gone, and I believe that the Lord has allowed the ark to be removed from the eyes of all mankind so that we would not focus on a box, but we would focus on Jesus, the one who is the, 
the fulfillment of what the ark represented. So then how do I follow the Lord in unfamiliar paths? Number one is the Holy Spirit. The way that you follow, you want to follow Jesus, you want to follow Him on unfamiliar paths, get acquainted with the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Bible teaches us uh, a lot about the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to teach us all things and bring all things that I say into your remembrance. He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to point to Jesus. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is going to apply the work of the cross in an empty tomb to our lives. The Holy Spirit's going to do that through faith. The Holy Spirit's going to give us necessary gifts for the good of the church. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit reveals God's heart and explains God's word to us. We need the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus said? It's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go. We talked about this a couple weekends ago. When we hear that, we say, no, it's not. I wish that there was Jesus right here. And Jesus says, no, it's better for you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inside of you is far better than if Jesus were beside you. It's better for you that I go. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we've got this verse that says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Do you see kind of a picture there? They were in the Old Testament, they were walking by the Ark of the Covenant. Follow it. Stay far enough behind it that you never took your eyes off it, that you couldn't lose it over a hill, but that you always saw it. Stay far enough behind it, but not too far. Stay this far from it. Walk by it. And what's Jesus say to us? Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is the proof in our lives. The Spirit is the witness in our lives. The Spirit is the seal in our lives that God has not left us and He has not forsaken us. The Spirit is the the proof or the way that we're able to understand God's Word and we must walk with the Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you don't want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, if you are led by the Spirit, do you see the picture there? They were led by the ark into the promised land, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And in the book of Romans, it says that there is no way, chapter 8, there's no way to please God apart from the Spirit of God. You want to please God? You want to live life uh, a life that's pleasing to Him? You can't do it apart from an intimate uh, relationship with God. The Spirit of God. Now some of us, some of us, the Holy Spirit is still kind of an odd thing to talk about. Because we don't understand Him fully, do we? And we don't like those things that we can't understand, do we? We kind of stay away from those things. The Holy Spirit sometimes, especially in the Baptist world, is like um, the strange or odd person at a party. You don't know what to do with him, so you just pretend like he's not there. And we do that in our lives. There's two dangers of the Holy Spirit. One is overemphasizing the Holy Spirit, uh, forgetting the Word of God, forgetting the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's all about the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. That's one danger. The other danger is to do nothing with him. 
Remember, Jesus says, it's better for you that I go because you need him so much more than you need me now. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift of God, as a seal of our redemption, as a necessary um, gift so that we might cross over into the promised land, so that we might live according to the word of God, according to the mission of God, and uh, live in such a way that pleases God. So what does it look like to be attentive to the Spirit? Number one, we've got to desire the Spirit. Desire. And when was the last time you said, Holy Spirit, I know I need you, but I want you. I want to want you. Give me a desire for the Spirit of God. I want the Spirit. Do you remember Paul says, desire the spiritual gifts. Long for them. Pray for them. He's teaching us that it is good to desire the things of the Spirit and the Spirit Himself. Desire the Spirit. Welcome Him. Welcome Him. Now let me just warn you, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He will do things that you don't have a theological box for. And that's okay. Don't try to put Him in a box. He doesn't deserve to live there. The Ark of the Covenant is no longer. The temple is no longer. Why? Because God cannot dwell in a temple made by human hands. Stop trying to put the Holy Spirit into man-made theological boxes. Desire Him. Welcome Him. Welcome Him. And obey Him. I want you to understand how I've spoken of Him. It is a Him and not an it. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. Obey Him. Here's the thing. Often we want more of God. We want more, the deeper things of God. Sometimes God will not take us beyond the level of our obedience. I said in our new members orientation this morning that it's not just about knowing more, it's about obeying more. And some of us would do well to know less and obey more. We need to obey what He reveals. And that might be weird. I had somebody walk up to me just the other day and said, God told me to do this. Do you have a category for that? God told me to do this. Okay. Well, if God told you to do that, I'm sure not going to argue with you. You know what? He was being obedient to the Spirit of God inside of him. Doing something that was odd. The Holy Spirit might lead you to do something weird. And I don't mean like speak in tongues or handle snakes or whatever. I'm talking about He might lead you into the kind of radical obedience that the world truly needs and it's going to look strange to the world. Be obedient. We can't ignore the Holy Spirit and please the Lord. We can't. We can't ignore them. And, and, and in the Bible it says that we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit. And guess what? I believe that so many of us 
Ryan so many times will disobey the Spirit of God in a small thing and grieve the Spirit of God or quench the Spirit of God. Individuals can do it. Husbands and wives and families can do it. Churches can do it. We can grieve Him and quench Him in a way that He will stop working with us until we resubmit ourselves and go back to that place of disobedience to become obedient. And if we want to see God do something great through His church, it's going to start as we follow the Lord by following His Holy Spirit. I got a whole nother sermon left to preach and I'm just going to stop. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christopher is going to come and lead us in a solo, in, a, in, a, in this incredible song that you're about to hear. And, and we're going to just take our minds and we're going to remember what the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was where the mercy of God met the sin of man. And we're going to remember today how Jesus points, or the ark pointed to Jesus, that through Christ, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. We're going to remember at the cross where my sin, and your sin maybe, met the mercy and grace of God. Let's sing, and then we'll pray.
That's strong right there. We love Him because He first loved us. I love it. That was good. Um, we're we're going to prepare our hearts. I think that prepared our hearts. Woo, Lord. Prepared our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. I, I want to remind you that there's nothing saving in this wafer. Nothing saving in this grape juice. But what is saving is what it represents. It represents the, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. That can save our souls. We sing, what can wash away my sin? And the answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So today, we come to the Lord's table together as a family to participate in the Lord's Supper. We come from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, from different states, and we all have one unifying truth, and that is the blood of Christ. So today, if you would, let's go ahead and prepare our cups here. Let's tear that top one off. Remember, there are two places to tear. You ready? All right, we're ready. And I just want to remind you that this is for those who have trusted Jesus in their hearts. Trusted Jesus with their salvation. So if you haven't done that yet, what you're declaring is that I trust in the body and blood of Jesus. If you've not done that with your life, that, that's not the way the Lord wants us to live. To be double-minded. And so I'd if that's you and you haven't made that profession of faith, you've not trusted in Jesus yet, I'd encourage you to abstain today. But that decision is between you and the Lord. On that night where that Jesus was to be betrayed, in the person of Jesus, the sin of man and the mercy of God met, Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat it, and do this in remembrance of me. Let us commune together. Now on that night, Jesus took a cup of wine, new wine, and he, he said, I won't drink of this cup again until I enter the kingdom and drink it new in the kingdom. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant. The covenant that washes away our sins. The covenant of Isaiah 1 that says, though our sins are as scarlet, they will be made white as snow. This, the covenant of Jeremiah where it says that he will take out this heart of stone put in us a heart of flesh, and that He will, by His blood, remember our sin no more. This is the new covenant of Ezekiel, chapter 36 and 37, which says that He will take what is dead and bring it to life, all through the power, the wonder-working power of the Spirit of God. This is that covenant 
that we celebrate today as we take the blood of Christ and drink together. Let's commune together. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the broken body and shed blood that you have so willingly poured out for us. Father, I come to you today I come today overwhelmed at the thought that the perfect Son of Man would die for sinners like me. That God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That You sent Jesus that everyone who trusted in Him would become a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that by that blood... We stand redeemed, forgiven, washed clean, our robes made white in the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus. Father, we love you. We celebrate you. We thank you in Christ's name for his sake. And everybody said, Amen. Would you stand and sing with us one closing?